What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Unbuckled Chinstrap. This is your host, Jules Henningberg. We have a special guest for you guys this week. A true legend within the lacrosse community, Brian Silcott. Silcott, or more commonly known around the lacrosse community as Silly, was most recently named the new head of player experience for the PLL and has been involved in the program since its inception back in 2000. From his early days of playing in the MLL, where he suited up for the Boston Cannons, or now known as the Cannons Lacrosse Club, to becoming the eventual coach in the MLL as well, Brian's got a lens that few have when it comes to the game. Some may even say that he's still got enough legs to play in the PLL today. I want to caution you guys, though, for this episode today. We have some explicit language, and it might not be suitable for a young audience. Please proceed with caution. We got the OG today, Brian Silcott. Silcott, what's going on, man? How's it going, Jules? I'm doing well. You got the, uh, you're rocking the Jamaica shirt right now. Talk to us a little bit about uh, what's going yeah. on with that. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm actually in Jamaica right now. Um, came over with the family. We, uh, we had the quarantine for two weeks first, and then had the opportunity, though, to go down to Kingston. Had to stay in what they call the resilient zone, which is basically the touristy area. And we just kind of holed up in a, in a house for two weeks, so then we could go into Kingston. And I uh, had two weekends in a row of coaching uh, kids in there, the uh, most, mostly high school kids, but basically folks that are trying out for the U19 men's and women's teams. And many of those U19 women will actually play on the senior team in the end. Um, just a fantastic experience, you know, great days on the field, a bit hot, um, a bit sweaty, but a lot of fun uh, coaching down here. Just had a blast. So what's that look like in terms of uh, them playing for, is it in 2022 or what are they, what are they looking for? Yeah. So now, right. I think right now, both the, what's now the U21, it was supposed to be U19, got bumped the year was U20, got bumped another year. It's U21 boys or men actually now and the senior women will both be in summer 2022 um, so those two events will take place in the same year with the u21s being in ireland u21 men in ireland and the women will be uh in towson maryland uh both okay. in the same summer yeah great that's that's exciting i'm uh i'm hopeful for the future of jamaica lacrosse i'm, I'm not too you know privy on to you know how good the game is out there but you know it'll be nice to kind of follow you along and hear how things are going with that yeah, the, and the cool thing for us in terms of competing is that um, there, there's a lot of, of uh, Jamaicans in the United States who grew up, who have grown up in the United States playing lacrosse. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things we want to do is find a balance of, you know, getting some great players from the U.S. because they're all eligible, they have passports, and you can't really you can't say no to them. You can't play, and, but we do want to ensure that you know native, born and raised in in Jamaica and grew up playing in Jamaica is key. Like even some many of them, I'm sure you know Goran Murray. You know he yeah. was he was born in Jamaica. Uh, and, you know, spent his first few years there, but then his family came over to the United States and he grew up playing lacrosse in the United States and went to Maryland. Um, so he's Jamaican. He's really Jamaican. But we also want to have some guys that actually grew up playing in Jamaica on the team as well. Yeah, no, th that's awesome. And obviously that's only one of the few things that, you know, you're doing. I know you were working with uh, Scotland before um, that and, and obviously a lot of ventures with, through, without, um, throughout coaching, excuse me, and, and obviously working with the PLL now. But Let's bring it back to when, when I first met you um, back my freshman year of college at Rutgers. I actually don't know. You, you know a little bit better than me how my dad and you got connected and how that led into, <laughs> you know, me and you kind of working together. But uh, talk a little bit about, you know, the first time you got to know me and kind of where that relationship started. Yeah. So, it, well, it's so 
It was a guy named Jack Francis, who your dad grew up with. Uh, Jack was an All-American midfielder at Maryland, uh, but grew up with your dad. They both they went to high school together. And uh, I guess your dad reached out to Jack kind of saying, you know, I want to get some extra work for my son. I'd love to find someone for him to work with. And at the time, uh, Jack and I were coaching together in, in the Jacksonville, Florida area. And, and Jack said, well, I got the perfect guy. It's Brian Silcott. You know, he's the best coach I've ever seen. <laughs> I think he'd love working with your son. And so I started talking to your dad. And what was crazy is that your dad and my dad knew each other. Um, your dad used to have, the, have a show on, on NBC um, called Positively Black, Black back in the day. And my dad was on it a couple of times as a guest. And we started talking. We realized that your dad, our, 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 you know, your grandfather knew my dad. But then also your dad knew my dad and I knew your dad from them going to each other's homes when we were, when we were younger because they became friendly. But, but Gus and I, your dad, had, had never met in our, yeah. in our entire lives until this incident. So it was, a, it was a crazy thing. Anyway, long story short, you and your older brother came down to Florida. Um, we went out, uh, I think we were there for like a week uh, together, um, just going out every day and winging balls at the cage and talking about the game and, and working on some different things. And uh, it was awesome. Like, I think we, uh, you know, we, 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 we jived really well. Um, I think some things clicked. Um, it was interesting. I don't think you changed your game really. Um, but I think you did maybe start thinking about some things a little bit differently and a little bit different approach here and there. And I'd like to think it, it, it helps you along the way, but I think more importantly, we became friends, you know, and, and have stayed in touch ever since. Yeah. And it's crazy that story or that kind of instance with my dad, I feel like happens so often where he has his like little runs with people and can connect these crazy dots. And then lo and behold, it'll be like, Oh yeah. Like my grandfather, my dad knew your dad. And like all this shit kind of goes down this rabbit hole. And yeah. very, I quickly. I, yeah, sometimes very deep quickly, sometimes <laughs> deep into the rabbit hole. Like, Damn I, man. <laughs> I didn't have any idea like really who you were um, in the lacrosse space, which bad on me because we'll get yeah, that's that. unfortunate. Yeah. We'll get into that a little bit later, but um, then I was like, Oh yeah. Like I'm always open to just, you know, anything that I could do to, to improve my game. And I, I was coming off freshman year at Rutgers where, you know, I had like relatively a decent year for a freshman. I think at 30 points, um, I started every game, but I knew that there was, you know, more that I wanted out of my experience as a player. And if I improved my game on the field, then inevitably we'd be a better team um, overall. And then it got to meet you. And then very quickly, I realized how intelligent you were about the game and how some of the things that you were talking about and communicating about really were super pivotal for me to kind of take a big leap from my freshman year, my sophomore year. Um, and I remember, you know, that week in, in Jacksonville and then from there it went to, you know, every week in the wintertime and then the summer in Jacksonville and kind of all those little touch points were, you know, they were huge for me and, and definitely as far as impact on my game, the most, um, you know, most growth I ever saw from the shortest amount of time with someone, but then to really see that kind of pan out over the years, um, yeah, like it's, it's been huge. The thing that was always cool to me, honestly, Jules, about you is that, and what made it so much fun for me was that you were looking to get better. Like, you know, that was clear and you were willing to do the work and you were thoughtful about what you did, but you always talked about Rutgers winning. Like that's what it was always about. It wasn't about Jules being in an All-American. It was about Rutgers winning. It was about wanting to get in a tournament, wanting to have a shot at a national championship. And that was all you ever talked about was, you know, how's, how's this going to make the team better? How can we, how's Rutgers going to get better? I want to win games. Like, you know, that was the thing you were always talking about. And, and your desire to improve was obviously in part about Jules, but it was really about Rutgers, that you wanted to win games. You wanted to win championships. You wanted to go to the tournament, which I just loved. Yeah, I, that – I appreciate that. I think that, um, you know, that hasn't changed, you know, as far as, you know, back at Rutgers, but now really, you know, heading into PLL now in my third season, you know, same thing, just trying to find 
ways that I can position myself to be a better player, just because I know I'll be in spots where if I can be more impactful in the field, like inevitably it helps us win games. So um, I'm always appreciative of that. And like I said, going back to where I had no idea who you really were. And then, you know, as I started to kind of unwind and start to hear people and talk about it, I was like, all right, well, still caught an OG in the game. Um, and this all makes sense as to why he's so good at what he does. Um, and and kind of on the O. <laughs> it's funny because now like you're at you know head of player relations in the pll and then kind of working to really grow the game um but that you know wasn't always the case right you're, you're someone that's been working at, at the professional level and been working to build the sport of lacrosse um for so long um but how does it feel now for you to kind of have gone on that journey and and to reach to, to the point now where you really can make an impact on, at the highest level yeah, I mean the journey's been fantastic. You know, I've I've been incredibly lucky in my life, and and had contact with so many great people, um, many of them through lacrosse, but doing other things as well. And you know, when when Mike Rabel first started talking to me um, about the PLL, and even before it came down to this specific position, just about what the PLL was doing and and how he thought and and what their goals were. Um, I quickly realized, well, you know, this is a great conversation, Mike, I, I really want to be part of this. And that, we didn't talk about that right away, but I, I just felt it inside of me, like, how, you know, I want to get involved in this. So when this position came about, and it was a position to me that, you know, in some ways, I would get to, to sort out how it would actually um, fit into the PLL and how it would operate. Um, it, it was just to me, the, the like the capstone to a career in many ways, um, to have this opportunity um, to be involved with a league that that's so transformative in sports, um, you know, beyond just lacrosse, but in sports in general, um, that, that's, that's so socially conscious, that's doing the right things. Um, it, it's special. And I've loved every single minute of it uh, since, since I joined. And I know, obviously, you know, it's 2021 now, and, and you're at a spot where, you know, you're on social media, you're out there, you just did state of league. I think people don't really understand who the real Silcott is entirely and in kind of the history of where you've come through and where you've come from. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, getting to this point, um, you know, dating back to your days in Nazareth and kind of leading up to, you know, when you're a professional player in the NLL and then, you know, MLL, because I feel like that's important to kind of preface, you know, what you're doing right now and how we can continue that conversation. Yeah, well, I, I definitely haven't followed a traditional path. You know, I've kind of, uh, always throughout my life, uh, tried to do what felt right. And, you know, sometimes what felt right ended up being the wrong thing. And I just go in another direction. Um, you know, I, I started college trying to be a three sport athlete and lacrosse was the third of the three for sure. Um, I ended up at Nazareth college, um, just playing lacrosse and chose it in part because I'd kind of started to fall in love with lacrosse and it didn't have football and wrestling. So I wouldn't be tempted to do three sports again. Um, ended up being an all American there and winning a national championship. Um, was lucky enough to, to end up on the Buffalo Bandits um, in what's now the NLL, was the M-I-L-L at the time. Um, had, a, had a career there. And then, uh, you know, at the age of 35, the MLL started um, and was lucky enough to, to make a team there and ended up captaining the Boston Cannons for, for a while. Uh, as soon as I came out of that league, I, yeah, I, got, I got to 40 and was running around on the field and kind of, I was just telling someone recently, it, it kind of went from, the feeling uh, playing as a short stick defender of there's no way you're going by to me to God, I hope the slide is there. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I can cover this guy. And I knew at that point, like it was time to go, you know, it was over. Yeah. And so I played like three or four games in, in 2005 and, and had a chat with my coach and <laughs> it's time to go and got picked up quickly after that though, to coach the, the uh, New Jersey pride who were dumping their coach. 
um, and coached them, coached the Dragons for a while, ran an NLL team up the Portland Lumberjacks. Um, I've done a lot of different things in my life, coached college, coached high school, run club teams. Um, you know, I've been all over the place with lacrosse um, and always have kind of tried to focus on what I think is important, which is having fun with the game and teaching the game the right way, um, teaching lessons through the game. Um, and have been lucky that, you know, at every turn, I've gotten another opportunity. Um, and, and, and it's, uh, it's been fantastic. And, you know, most of my good friends are lacrosse people. Um, I've learned a ton from, from many of the greats. Um, one of the stories I tell often is that my, my rookie year in the NLL, um, you know, on my team, I had John Tavares, Troy Cordingly, Bob Hamley, Jim Veltman, Darius Kilgore, Rich Kilgore, they all ended up being head coaches in the NLL and they were all on my team teaching wow. me how to play box lacrosse. It was incredible. Um, so I've been very lucky in my life, you know, that with the people that I've had as mentors and teaching me. And so I've kind of, you know, always looked at it as, as, you know, that I have a debt, I have a debt to the game. And mm -hmm. um, so in any position, even if I'm getting paid, you know, I try to pay back at the same time. I love that. The uh, having a debt to the game. I, I think that resonates with me a lot, resonates with a lot of people. Um, you know, that are doing good things in the sport because it's such a compact community. And, you know, you have those touch points with people, like you're saying, I think I had a similar experience in San Diego, I had, uh, you know, Dan Dawson, Garrett Billings, um, guys like that, Brody Merrill. Then, you know, I had, again, I have no idea who these people are, you know, Brody a little bit for a field, but then you get to that, you know, that team and you realize that these guys are some of the greatest people to ever play, um, you know, both as people, um, but also as lacrosse players. And, you know, you get that experience and you're like, all right, well, you know, I'm doing a disservice to myself and everyone else if I can't pass on some of this information um, and really take it and run with it, which I think is, is such a special part of our game that we have right now. And that is, that's, that's one of the cool things about lacrosse, I think, is that people feel that. Um, you know, I think there's something about the fact that, that we inherited this game um, or have been loaned this game, at least, um, from, from, in particular, Haudenosaunee, um, but, you know, kind of Native American populations across the country in general. Uh, it has a different feel to it, you know, and, and I think that, that there's people that don't necessarily appreciate that, but I think a lot of lacrosse people do. And a lot of lacrosse people recognize that this game is different than other games and, and we need to treat it well. We need to treat the people that play it well. And uh, the fact that we get to play it, uh, we, you know, we, owe, we owe something. Mm -hmm. And how have, you, how have you seen really the evolution of the sport since you know, you're someone that's been in it for so long, you know, dating back to before the MLL was a thing, the NLL was popular, or um, I, I don't remember the name of the, the league that you called it before, but, you know, you've kind of seen all these touch points, but what has that been like for you to kind of be there from the beginning up until now when we have eight PLL teams and it's really, you know, national conversation? Um, one of the biggest thing is the, the level of athletes is, is just continuously getting better. Um, I, I don't want to uh, sound like I'm bragging here, but like when I played you know, I was often the best athlete on the field, you know, and I, I felt that and I, you know, I played like I was the best athlete. I wasn't the best lacrosse player necessarily. I didn't have, mm -hmm. you know, unbelievable stick skills, but I was, I was a better athlete than most of the guys playing lacrosse. And now, you know, you walk onto a PLL field and everyone's an athlete like me, <laughs> every single player. Um, and, and if you don't have great stick skills on top of that, you just don't play. Um, so I think that's been one of the biggest changes is that there's so many more good athletes um, playing the game. And I think the, the influx of the, of Canadians and the Canadian influence has raised the level of stick skills, not just the Canadians coming in and having it themselves, but it's, it's become demanded of Americans that they, that they match that level if they want to get on the field. So, so the, the, the stick skills are better. 
the 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 level of 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 athlete is better. Um, and then you know you mentioned the PLL. You know what we've down now done is raise a level of marketing. You know I think lacrosse folks for a long time, professional lacrosse in particular, had the feeling and treated it like you know if we put it out there, we're just going to love this and they'll all come. You know the old if if we build it, then they'll come type of thing. And the PLL has taken the opposite approach and said, you know, we can build it and some folks will come, but we're selling this to everybody. You know, we want, we want to really show the world what lacrosse is and we're going to use every tool available to us to get this out this there, to get our athletes out there, to get the game out there um, and show what lacrosse is to the world. And I think that's really where the PLL stands out and it's kind of taken the whole professional lacrosse thing to the next level. Where do you, I, I think that, you know, you talk about kind of the marketing side of it. I think there's an interesting dynamic with, the older generation of lacrosse um, and you talk about before becoming really like professional, you know, you being on the veil, um, the veil scene and, and being Lake Placid scene and being a legend in that area and guys, you know, having this tight knit community and feeling like the game is something special, but, you know, never really taking the opportunity, the chance to really branch out like the PLL has. What do you think kind of that, you know, that breaking point was um, and for someone like yourself, that's kind of seen both sides and how do you, you know, how do you balance it? Keeping that, community feel and the really the spirit of that game, but also, you know, growing it to the point where you can share that with, you know, the entire population. Yeah. I, I think there were two big breaking points. I think the first one was um, Dave Morrow and warrior and the creation of the MLL was a big breaking point. You know, it was a big shift um, from us all kind of running around the best players in the world. We're playing on club teams in the spring and, you know, Boston was good. There were a couple of good teams, in Long Island, a couple of good teams in Baltimore and it was the best players of the world, just kind of getting together and playing as amateurs, you know, mm -hmm. and, and with, with Dave Morrow, um, with his marketing stuff around warrior and, and the launch of the, of the, of the MLL, it was shifted up, you know, everything went up a notch and it was professionalized in many ways. Um, but now it's at a whole different level, right? Mm -hmm. It's at a whole different level in terms of the way that's being done, but what's remained consistent, um, as you mentioned, is the, the brotherhood of players, you know, that, mm -hmm it's still the same. You know, when I get on the phone with a, a 22 year old kid uh, coming out of college and talk to him lacrosse, like there's a connection right away that just doesn't exist in, in basketball or football or baseball. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons why that true part of it, I think is numbers, but as I said earlier, part of it is that, you know, we play a special game and it takes a certain type of person to be successful in our sport. And we recognize that in each other and we want to be around other lacrosse players so that while all of this has happened and has blown up and there's so many more lacrosse players and all of that, I don't think it's changing the fact that the lacrosse world is, is tight knit and particularly at the highest level um, that the guys all respect each other, all want to be together. That was one of the biggest things I've heard guys talk about in the bubble. Um, and it's one of the things I've heard guys mention about the touring model that they they love that all the guys are together for a weekend and they get to mm -hmm. see all the lacrosse players and hang out and talk and everything in addition to beating the heck out of each other on the field. Um, but it is seeing each other and, and getting to talk to the different players. I think it still exists in the game, even though it's now at a completely different level in terms of marketing and everything. It, it's funny uh, with you. And I'll touch a little bit on this kind of that transition from when it was more club to when the MLL came, but there's a running joke with you that 
you're just like ageless. This guy, just old guy running around on the field, just knowing, you know, everyone knows who he is. And it's just wondering how the fuck is he still able to do it? Um, and he kind of came into the first. get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> had a half hour where I look like a 90 year old man. He came, he came into the pro line. scene at, uh, at 35, 36, which, you know, that is potentially would be the, one of the oldest guys in the league right now. And that's when you're just starting off to, to kind of get into that full MLL um, situation. But what was that like? the transition from the club veil scene um, where you guys are running around and it's a little bit more of a beer league, but you know, come Saturday and Sunday, you guys are still getting up there and playing high level lacrosse. But you know, how was that transition to the MLL? Right. Cause it was, it was kind of subtle. You guys just, you know, four teams, I think it was right. You guys just came out, had one big tryout and you guys got picked up or what was that like? It was uh, I think it was, I think it was like 250 guys. They brought down to, to Florida and put us up for like a three day weekend. I had a little combine where we had to do some physical test stuff, which I did very well in thankfully. And then we played scrimmages. Actually, no, we did drills and stuff too. Like I remember one point walking, uh, coming off the field from the mid where the midfielders were doing drills and walking by where it was attacking D and doing one-on-ones and stopped to watch Ryan Powell was in this group and like, dude after dude he just left tangled in the back of the net it was the most incredible thing i've ever seen like the best defenseman in the world just getting left tangled up in the back of the net in one-on-ones anyway i digress um what what really i mean for me i was 35 but i was you know i was coaching in college i was living in a gym basically you know because i coached in college and played squash every day so i had i had the advantage of of probably being in better shape than a lot of the other guys that were sitting on you know at a desk in wall street and that definitely helped me play longer. Um, and at that, you know, in the early years of the MLL, you know, there were guys that weren't in great shape, you know, there's no doubt about it. And that's a significant um, change now. I think part of the reason I was able to play until I was 40 was just that I was in better shape physically than, than some of the, you know, 28 year olds. Um, that's just not the case anymore, right? Like everybody <laughs> is in ridiculous shape. Everyone's jacked. Um, you know, that, that's, Another thing that's changed over the years as it's become more professional is that, you know, the guys train year round. And if you don't, you get, you get dropped, you get left behind in a moment. And that was not the case in the early days. It would imagine if there was film back then of, uh, you know, those camps and, and someone like Ryan Powell, like that's the stuff that, you know, I wish I could be able to see. Yeah. It, I was, th- th- those, that, that, that opening thing with all the best guys coming together and it was a big, you know, I was not the oldest guy at that opening thing. You know, Vinny Sombrato was there. who was probably six years older than me. And it was right down to guys that were just out of college, you know, and all the best players coming together in one place to, to kind of audition for, for a draft was basically what it was. They had a draft um, a couple of weeks later. It was wild and it was fun, um, exhausting, um, but it was an absolute blast. Just, just uh, you know, going and playing lacrosse with the best players in the world for, for a weekend. And at that point, were the Canadians kind of intertwined the same way they are now to the outdoor game or, or what was that like? Uh, not as many of them yet, I would say. You know, there were definitely Canadians there, obviously, Gary and Paul, uh, Tom Marichek, um, you know, probably a few others, but not like it is now. It, it, there's, so, there's been so, such a, a greater influence from the, from the Canadians since those guys came along. Um, I think those guys kind of, there have been Canadians before them, um, but that really was the, the opening of the gates and, and the gates, like you open up Gary and Paul gate. <laughs> um, and, and it, it started out as a trickle, I think, but then, 
more and more uh, Canadians started intentionally training to with the with the hopes of getting a scholarship into the United States. But then also more and more coaches realized at first it was like, you know, you got to get, get a Canadian lefty, lefty attack bot. And it was like, well, when I'm Canadian righty, well, gosh, like, you know, they can also, they're getting more athletic in Canada. Let's have them all, let's have some midfielders that are Canadian. Oh my gosh, they have defensemen now as well that are growing up playing field lacrosse and, and they'd have ridiculous stick skills. So it, it was a few guys then, but the, it's changed over the time. And the, the, the Canadians are so much better at field lacrosse and so many more of them want to come to the United States to, to play, to play college lacrosse and, the American coaches want to go up and get them as well. Yeah. I think you're, uh, you know, one of the few people that could say, you know, you're, you're able to utilize your athleticism to the level you are combining that with kind of that Canadian skill set. Um, and I think that that's, I think the combination of those two things is, is where the pinnacle of the sport will be. Um, you know, having the athletes that we're going to see in the PLO, but then, you know, as you said before, starting to really get that box influence and how can those two things kind of merge together to kind of have that perfect field combination. Yeah. And I think we're, I think we're seeing it, you know, I, 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 look at Dane Smith, like, good Lord. <laughs> Guy is an absolute monster, ridiculous stick skills, you know, and, and, and he's a Canadian, but we're also seeing it. In, in the Americans, I mean, look, yourself being one, like guys that can just handle the ball, have great sticks, great hands, um, and and yet are, you know, also quick, fast, great change of direction. Um, you know, the, the, the original joke kind of was that the Canadians had great sticks, but they weren't athletes, you know, and the, the image was that Paul and Gary were the exception, you know, and then I can remember people often talking about, yeah, well, if Gary and Paul grew up in the United States, they wouldn't even play lacrosse. They probably would have played football or something instead. Um, but the reality is now that, that there's so many great athletes in, in Canada that are playing lacrosse and there always were, you know, there, there always were, they just weren't coming down to the United States. And I think the influx of, of turf as a playing surface has affected that as well. Um, Cause on the concrete floor, Concrete floor that they that they traditionally played on in Canada kind of eliminates a little bit of athleticism sometimes. Sometimes, mm-hmm. and and the more it's on turf, the more box lacrosse is played on turf, the more valuable being a great athlete becomes. Were you there for playing on that kind of cement concrete? Was that like during your time playing box? Uh, only in the summer, and they still do in the summer. They're still they're yeah. still you know clubs that play in the summer. In the uh, in the NLL, no. When I played in the in the NLL, we used to, it was often. Uh, the turf directly on the ice of the hockey rink. And mm-hmm. literally there were games where like the turf would start to slide and like come up and stuff <laughs> on the ice and it'd be exposed ice and they have to put the floor back, back down. Um, we were always on turf though, but it was that old school turf, you know, the stuff that it literally tore the meat off your body. If you fell down on it, um, I used to play with my knees all Vaseline up trying to keep them from getting, uh, you know, too ripped up from the turf. Man, we got to get some Silcott film of uh, you playing box back in the day. I'd love to see that. Dude, my 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 first game in Buffalo was like 18,000 people in the odd. I'd never seen a box across game before. Like I'd never seen the sport played before. So my first game was playing in the arena with 18,000 people. And dude, I was just like, oh my God, what just happened? What the hell was that? I've not, did I play well? I have no idea. I have no idea what happened. Yeah, the... Uh... I don't, I mean, I think that's still the most sold out arena in the league is, uh, is Buffalo. I've never played there before, but you know, Dane and Josh and, and those guys are, they always tell me how fucking crazy it is to be yeah. in there. Well, no, it's is Saskatchewan. Is, oh yeah, uh, yeah. That place is, is nuts as well. I was up there for, uh, the championship when, when Georgia won. Oh my God. What a awesome place to play. Awesome well, place to play. 
I think, uh, you know, you're someone that's been, I feel like a very, you're in a unique spot in the game. You've been through so many different touch points and kind of led this life of, you know, seeing the evolution of the sport in so many different lights. You know, one light I think very unique for you is being a black man in the sport. Um, someone that, you know, perhaps was one of the only single guys out there at a time where, you know, there wasn't really a lot of black people playing lacrosse up until now when, you know, now you're working in a, a unique position, really, you know, building and, and molding the future of the sport. Um, you know, what was that experience like for you? Um, you know, starting back to when you were playing in high school um, through the pro ranks and, and kind of, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yes. Honestly, for me, um, lacrosse was off. It was in many ways and athletics in general, I would say was a safe space place, you know, that, that there was, there was always stuff out there, but like my teammates always were 100% in support of me, you know, and I, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, in a white town, you know, like, so being the only black guy on the lacrosse team was kind of par for the course. I was, you know, one of three on the football team and, you know, one of two on the wrestling team probably as well. So lacrosse didn't stand out as, as something different from the other sports. Mm -hmm. Um, but through my life, obviously, like any black man, there have been, you know, incidents and occurrences, um, you know, some more subtle, some really, really overt. Um, but in my experience, um, and, you know, I say this knowing that lacrosse is, is as flawed as the rest of America in the end, um, but my teammates and my friends in the game have always propped me up, you know, and always had my back. And, and I can even think of incidents in my life where, you know, they stepped in and, you know, we're basically like, no, Brian, we're dealing with this. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's been wonderful for me that, that lacrosse has been such a, uh, you know, a, 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 a place of comfort for me really in the end. Um, and I say that though, not to make lacrosse sound like it's perfect in any way, shape or form. You know, we have racists all over the game. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. um, and we have issues with, with our sport that, that, prevent it from being as diverse as, as, as you and I, and a lot of other people wish it was. And I think that, uh, you know, recently, I think more of those have, I don't know, come to light. I think people have been aware of it all along, but I think they're being talked about more now, um, which has been probably for me, the most interesting time in my life being a black lacrosse player, um, that, you know, suddenly, I really felt like everyone was looking at me as a black lacrosse player. And I didn't really <laughs> feel it that way throughout most of my career i was a lacrosse mm -hmm. player but yeah. suddenly you know i mean the phone calls uh, you probably experienced it too it was a second job you know feeling yeah. feeling phone calls from people about things and having conversations and and while it was trying and tiring and and emotional um it was also amazing like the feeling that wow they're actually listening they're actually people are taking notice people are recognizing i can remember a couple of conversations i had with steve stannerson you know who's a a deeply caring man you know about about um, the issues and what U.S. lacrosse could do. And the thing I thought was really interesting was their initial reaction was, you know, what do we do in our, in our, in our diversity programs? You know, we, we got to push more to get more black folks playing. And, and, you know, my response to him and then I, what a conversation I had with Steve that he would, reacted immediately and responded immediately to this was, Steve, it isn't just about getting more black kids playing lacrosse. It's about ensuring that when a black kid plays lacrosse, he's going to feel comfortable in the game. Like that's what it's all about, that he's not gonna feel like the odd man out. He's not gonna have someone calling him in during a game, that, that, that the, those things will be dealt with and he knows they're gonna be dealt with. Um, and being able to finally have those conversations and have people respond and, and actually act on them was, was, 
um, while again, I said tiring <laughs> at times, um, was a cool thing. And it, it, again, in many ways, made me feel good about the game. Um, you know, obviously there were instances that, that happened that made me not feel so good about the game. Um, but in the end, uh, I'm happy with lacrosse and, and it's been really, really good to me in my life. And as I said before, it's been a, a safe place in, in, in many occasions. Do you think that the ability for you to kind of have that safe space in the game was just, you know, a draw of luck in terms of the teams that you were on, like men of character, um, you know, or how, how do you think that kind of played itself out? Uh, well, I think it's a few. I think that's definitely part of it, you know, that I was, I've been lucky enough to be in good places. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's absolutely for sure. I think it's also partially who I am, you know, um, I'm, I'm a lot more palatable um, as a black person. Um, I think I culturally, uh, I, I fit in in white society very, very well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if I was darker skinned and spoke differently and dressed differently, it may have been different. I'm yeah. sure it would have been different in some instances. I have no question about that. Um, so I think that the fact that I'm also intelligent and, uh, and good looking and <laughs> I've always been a, Love it. I've always been a leader though, everywhere I've gone. And so it's, I think I, I've positioned myself where it's, it's, it's very difficult to look down upon me. Yeah. Um, and it's something that and I'm sure you, you had the same thing. I was taught that from my father, you know, mm-hmm. that this is, this is how you make it in this world. You, you don't allow yourself to be in a position. You have to be, um, you have to be better all the time at everything you do, how you carry yourself, how you speak. Um, and so for me, I think it, it, it was partially that my circumstances and where I was and partially who I was that positioned me to, to have good experiences. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. I resonate a lot with you um, on that front. I think, you know, you talk about, you know, being raised to kind of be like that. I think it's, you know, just never giving someone an opportunity to really, you know, look down upon you because, you know, you're always doing things at a higher level consistently, you know, knowing in the back of your mind, if you're not, that you're you're vulnerable, um, you know, as a black man. And I think, you know, different from me for you, um, you know, your skin complexion is, is darker than mine. Um, but I still had that mentality. Um, and I always talk about that with people. It's, it's something that you can control, right? Like you can't control your skin color. You can't control where you grew up, can't control your socioeconomic um, background, but you can control, you know, what the the variables that, you know, we talk about work ethic, showing up on time, you know, being consistent with your character, doing the things that will position you. So people don't have the opportunity to, you know, disrespect you, um, which I think has, has played well um, for both you and I. Um, but I know that there, you know, also were instances probably where perhaps there were people, you know, regardless of that, um, that, you know, still found issues with you. Maybe they weren't on other teams um, or maybe it was things that you heard or maybe it was conversations you had with people more recently um, with the climate of everything. Could you talk a little bit about maybe some of those things kind of that have happened um, more recently um, in some of the conversations you had? Yeah, well, you know, I, there uh, there's assholes in the world. Yeah, <laughs> there's no getting around that. There's people that are just fucking assholes, you know. And I, I don't give them a lot of time, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, and uh, I've encountered them throughout my life. Um, uh, you know, from someone yelling at me while I was running up the field, to to you know people I knew that 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 didn't give me an opportunity in a in a job because of, you know, a, a first glance look, you know, I'm, I honestly don't give it my time. Mm-hmm. 
um, I move forward all the time. And I think, again, I'm lucky that I'm able to walk through life and feel like, you know what, I'm better than you. <laughs> you, 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 you can be it, that so. you're going to be that I'm not going to waste my time with you. I'm going to move, I'm going to move forward, you know? And um, I think recently seeing things and seeing reactions of people to things is there's been probably you know, some disappointing things and hearing things from people that were, they were definitely disappointing. Um, and in some instances I talk to people and, and try to help them, see more clearly the reality of the world. Mm -hmm. um, but in the end, um, something I've decided is that there's lots of ways you can change the world and lots of ways you can impact the world. Um, trying to, con to convince an ignorant son of a bitch that is an ignorant son of a bitch is a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather spend my time raising up the good people, um, setting an example um, ensuring that, that, that folks that were intelligent were, were given an opportunity to, to have their eyes fully open um, and, you know, not beating my head against the wall. Maybe, you know, maybe I should beat my head against the wall more often, but I, uh, I'm not willing to do it. And yeah. I, I, I uh, you know, you see things that happen. And, and I think in really recent times, I've, I've realized how stupid some people are. Um, and I'm not going to ruin my life, my day, my minute over them. Um, Cause I firmly believe that there's enough good people and enough intelligent people, enough caring people that, you know, goodwill prevail. And, and I don't need to convince everybody. I don't need to fix everybody. We just need to keep moving forward and having enough people that are willing to do the right thing and keep creating more and more of those over time. And eventually the scumbags will just be left in their own little corner. Mm -hmm. And I, more power to you. I love all that. Uh, Silk, I think you're spot on. Well, are there some people in your life that you've had, you know, that have kind of give you that confidence, right? As a black man in the sport um, that you've been able to see, or is it something that, you know, you just never felt like that was really an obstacle for you and that you, there was no ceiling um, for, for what you could become in the sport? Um, I think a lot of it was, a lot of it was from my dad. You know, my mm -hmm. dad was, uh, was a special guy. Um, I would never say he was the best father in the world, um, but he was a great man. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a father, he probably uh, didn't spend enough time, in my opinion, with his children, uh, but he spent a lot of time helping the world, uh, so to speak, um, and set a tremendous example for me. Um, but one thing he always made sure was that we carried our, held our heads high, you know, and that, uh, I'm going to say that being a Silcott was of value. <laughs> uh, was something that was just unquestioned in my life. Uh, that, that being a still cut was special. Um, sorry, <laughs> I'm still there, but my dad. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm now passing on to my son. You know, and making sure that he knows that that he's special. He's a special mm -hmm. human being, and that no one can ever, ever take that away from him. Yeah, no, I love that, Cameron James is the man. I don't, I don't know if the, the people on here listening are familiar with him, but he can, you know, check him out on, on your social media, but awesome kid. And, um, you know, I think we talk about some of the people um, that have been impactful in the game. I was actually, you know, I had you first. I'm not going to uh, lie. Trevor is going to get to do you for, for Black History Month. They talk a little bit about you, but I was definitely, you know, um, you know, someone in my life, you're someone in my life that I was able to look up to, um, I think, and, and kind of just, you know, look in, in terms of leadership qualities and someone that, 
you know, once I realized who you were in the sport, I was like, wow, like if I have this, you know, close of a touch point to someone, you know, that's done so much in the sport and is willing to, you know, engage with me the way you are. Again, when we talk about the sense of responsibility, it's like, you know, the sky's the limit for me. Right. And that it was, it was so close to home, um, that I always, I kind of always set, you know, felt a sense of, you know, I have to, um, do right by Silcott. The fact that he's going out of his way, the fact that I'm around his family, the fact that he's giving me so much knowledge, like, you know, if I don't run with this, like I'm, I'm letting you down in a sense, like that's kind of how I felt. Um, and I think that there's a lot of, a lot of people, you know, out there, um, you know, in the black lacrosse community that perhaps can, you know, if they have those more of those experiences or feel that way, I think it, it can, it can really be a, you know, beacon of, of light for, for some of those players out there who feel, you know, sometimes that there is a glass ceiling, um, in the sport and that they don't have the opportunity to, to climb it. I, I agree. Absolutely. Jules. And, and I, I appreciate that. Um, I, 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 I hope that, that, that more black players realize the, the impact that they, that they have. And I think they do. I think a lot of guys do, but I hope that the guys run with it and recognize that, it, that it's everything you do, you know, that, that it is how you carry yourself, how you speak, what you say, what you represent, how you carry yourself on the field. Um, but it's also setting an example and it, it's, it's setting an example for other black kids, but it's also setting an example for, for white folks, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, this, this is who a black man is. This is what a black man is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not that image you have in your mind that you've decided what it is. This is what a black man is. Um, and I think it's an important thing that, that all athletes, really, not just the cross players, that all athletes carry with themselves. Um, and and that we, we continue to educate every single day, every single minute. We're always educating. And like I said, it's not about trying to convince that asshole that, that he's wrong it's educating often just to being a good person and being a strong person and setting an example, being caring, taking that minute to, to help people. That that's, that's what, that's what makes a difference. And that's what changes the world. I, I totally agree. And you're someone that's in a position I feel like now, um, as you know, your, your position in the PLL to you know, really impact the game, you know, what, what do you feel like your responsibility is now um, to the sport with your position? Um, and, and how do you see yourself kind of moving along for the, you know, foreseeable future in this sport? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, my primary response right now is to the league. And, but in that, my real responsibility is to the players. Um, and that's the way my position was created in the league that, you know, m- my job is to ensure that the players have a good experience. Um, and I take that very seriously. And, and, you know, while there's, I, I represent the league, I'm paid by the league, um, you know, doing right by the players and ensuring that they're heard and, and that we, we do things moving forward that is good for the players is obviously um, what my job is about. In the broader sense, and one of the reasons that I, I love the PLL is that there's the cross and there's growing this game and there's, there's, you know, making a business out of a lacrosse league, but the, in no way, shape or form does the PLL do that in a bubble. Um, like in every meeting, things come up about what we can do to help other things outside of our circle in the world. It's just, it's continuous. It's, it's part of the culture of the office of the PLL. Um, and it's unmistakable from the moment you listen to, to Mike Rabel talk in a meeting or Paul, um, Mick Davis, everybody. Like they, it's talked about all the time about that we are building a business. We're building a league. We're trying to do something great for the sport. We're trying to do something great for sports, but it has to be done the right way. And we have to be socially conscious. We have to be good in the world. We have to set an example. So I've been positioned where my immediate thing is to the league and to the players and all of that. 
but because of the way the league operates, you know, this tremendous opportunity to do more. Just, we were just having a conversation today with, with uh, Kyle Harrison about, you know, what can we do around COVID? How can we do something to help that? We've had conversations about how we, can we educate more people about the Haudenosaunee and, and bring back the idea of teaching the history of the sport. Like it's just daily conversations in the PLL. It's not this thing that pops up once a year, like, okay, this is do good for the world day. It's daily conversations in the PLL. And that's part of the reason why I like working there. It's not about me going out of my way to find ways to do things. It's about me just picking and choosing which ones I want to get involved in that the league's looking at all the time in terms of ways to, to help make it a better place. I think no better man with the, the track record, um, you know, the experiences that you've had and, and the way you position yourself in the sport to, you know, to be in the position you are now to help us as players. Um, you know, I, I know I've known you for a long time now, a couple of years. Um, and, you know, I trust you and, and really appreciate everything you've done for me, but everything I know you could do for the rest of the players in the sport. So um, thank you, Silcott, for, uh, for joining us. I think this was uh, awesome to hear from you know, your perspective and uh, really get to know you a little bit better because I think it's something that the sport deserves to hear. Thanks, man. I, I, you know, I, I believe the future is bright uh, for the PLL, for our sport. I know it is for you. Can't wait to watch you play this summer. Um, it's going to be a good one for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm very positive about the future and I'm happy I was uh, able to come on here and talk with you a little bit about a little bit today. Yeah. I look forward to uh, following along in Jamaica and then hopping on another phone call and just talking <laughs> to shit with you. Yeah, man. Talk to you soon, bud. All right. So. Appreciate you guys for tuning in to another episode of Unbuckled. As always, please make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Helps a ton guys. If you're enjoying it, check that out. Uh, you can go follow Silcott on Instagram at BT Silcott, uh, as well as on Twitter at Brian Silcott PLL. We'll catch you guys next week for another episode of Unbuckled. Mm.